to talk about something to which I've been a very late comer in life. It's the topic of rest. So just recently, Annie and I had the luxury of a couple of weeks isolated <clears throat> with one another and we didn't murder each other. <clears throat> and it just got me thinking about rest. So let's uh, turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 4. We'll just pick the eyes out of a few verses here. So I think I might just uh, have a look firstly at chapter 3, verse 19, where it says, but we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. It's talking about Israel not entering into the promised land because of hardness of heart and unbelief. And th But he pushes his, his conversation, the author. He says, let us therefore fear lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Talking now about Israel, of course. But we which have believed do enter into rest. Now, if you skip over a couple of verses, to verse 7 at the end of it, he says, Today if you will hear his hearts, harden not, if you will hear his voice rather, harden not your hearts. For Jesus had given them rest, which is to say Joshua had given Israel rest when they entered the promised land, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. Of course, this is in the Psalms. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he hath also ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us therefore labour to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same manner of unbelief. So that to me is a bit of a conundrum that I should be instructed here to labour to rest. But, of course, I understand that you understand that a lot better than I do, uh, that that's something that we strive to enter the rest. So <clears throat> we might just go back to the origins of this. Well, not exactly to the... Well, yes, let's go back to the origins, to Exodus chapter 20. And we're going to find here... Um, one of the commandments. It's the fourth commandment, and uh, it's in verse 8. We'll read verse 8, 9, and 10, where it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labour and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any works, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. So this is an interesting commandment. There's something unique about the fourth and the fifth commandments in that all of the other commandments are thou shalt not commandments, but these two, the fourth and the fifth, the fifth being honour thy father and thy mother, are commandments to pronounce a blessing. They're pronouncements of not what we shouldn't do, but of what we should do. So if you look at it like that, God's actually saying to them, if I was to paraphrase it, I'm ordering you to rest. And that's a pretty unusual thing. This commandment is quite unique. Like you can find similarities to some of the commandments in other ancient legal codes, but you won't find anything like this one. He says, remember the Sabbath. 
So here's the first tip. The Sabbath already existed. And it's referring back to Genesis chapter 1. Now, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, you could probably quote it to me. In the beginning, God made the heaven and the earth. In the beginning, God. And we read in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, and on the sixth day he made man, and on the seventh day God rested. And now the instruction to Israel is remember the Sabbath. Remember it. So what is it about this Sabbath? Because what he's actually saying is remember creation. What is it? Well, I don't think it's very complicated at all because in Genesis chapter 1, it also says, and God made man in his own image. In his own image made he them. Male and female made he them. God made man in his own image. This is the story of creation. And it's through understanding that humans, indeed, the whole universe is created and humans are created beings made in the image of God that gives our life meaning. The alternative, as far as I can read, is that we are not created beings and life, therefore, actually has no meaning because to quote, you know, one of the preeminent biologists of the world, and I'm probably misquoting him, I don't wish to do that, but it's something along the lines of we are just matter dancing to our own DNA. We have no objective control over our destiny. Well, the Bible gives us a different story. And I think that's why God's saying right up front, one of the Ten Commandments, remember the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath was a day when they were to desist from all their labours. Now, just as an aside, a couple of other points that make this law unique is that most festivals in most cultures to this very day, actually, are built around nature's cycles such as the moon cycles like even our easter is is built around the cycles of the moon that's why it keeps moving every year or maybe solar cycles but this is built around what i don't know if there's any previous record or not of seven days seven days doesn't link up with the moon it doesn't link up with the earth's orbit around the sun it's just like almost arbitrary the only thing is that god created the universe and all the species on the on the planet in six days and on the seventh day he rested and surveyed his handiwork and another thing that makes this just unique just for those that are interested in these sort of old scriptures even the cattle and the slaves were to rest on the Sabbath. Now, the Bible doesn't actually prohibit slavery at any point, but it is the thinking that comes out of the Bible that led to the prohibition of slavery. It was Bible-based thinking that led to the likes of William Wilberforce and all those other men and women who made it illegal. And right here, back here, we see that there's a status given to slaves that I don't think you are likely to find in any other ancient legal code, being it Babylonian, Sumerian, Roman, Greek, etc. 
that's something to stick in the back of your mind. Next talk, you're talking to somebody who's debunking the Bible and espousing atheism, as Pastor Joe was talking about his early time. So why remember the Sabbath? Because I'm remembering creation. I'm remembering my status in relationship to God. And I'm remembering the very thing that gives me my life meaning. That's why it says, remember the Sabbath. And it goes on to say, and keep it holy. Keep it holy. So it's not just a passive day. To, to not labour doesn't mean that I spend the day in bed. It's not an invitation to idleness. There's, there's, a, there's a challenge here to keep it holy. So maybe we could push the question, well, why the Sabbath for Israel? Well, maybe you would argue because they would get tired and um, the leaders of industry had a word to Moses and they said, look, I think we need a law that gives them a day off a week, otherwise productivity is going to fall through the floor. And Moses probably said, well, that's a good idea. Well, how about we give them the seventh day? And they had an industrial meeting and the unions and the employees agreed and God said, well, if that's what you want, that's what I'll give you. Yeah, you could say that. Maybe you could say that it was just so that we could work hard six days. But the trouble is Jesus said Man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for man. So that ain't the answer. And so you, you flip it over. Is the Sabbath so that we can work hard or maybe do we work hard? Because it does say there um, that, that in six days shalt thou labour. So we, do we work hard so that we can have a rest? Or do we rest so that we can work hard? Well, you pick your life. You pick how you want your life to be. But I think the hint is we work hard so that we can enter the rest. That's what we read in Hebrews chapter 4. Let us labour or strive, therefore, so that we might enter into the rest. In other words, the goal is not the work, and the work will not get us to the goal. The work is to enter the rest. The work is to understand my relationship with God and my relationships here on earth below, my relationship with God, which gives my life meaning, my relationships on here on earth below, which also gives my life meaning. To this day when observant Jews observe their Sabbath from Friday night to Saturday night, they typically spend the time with a meal on the Friday night and then a second meal on the Saturday night, but they spend the time with family. And maybe they even might open their house up to strangers or visitors. In other words, they're connecting with people. And you think, well, that's a pretty good idea. I'm not suggesting that we have to observe the seventh-day Sabbath. I'm just saying that from even from their perspective. Okay, so they were told to keep it holy. Now, the point I'm going to take out of keeping it holy, holy means distinct and separate. Now, I heard a preacher say uh, not so long ago that um, he's been in the Lord a long time now and he doesn't have to pray very much these days. He just hangs with the Lord. Now, I don't know what it means to hang with the Lord, but I do know this, that the longer I'm in the Lord, the more I need to pray. It's not that, uh, now, he was saying one thing that was valid, and that was this. When he was young, he used to spend time on his knees, banging on the gates of heaven, you know, demanding, you know, challenging the gates of heaven. And he said, I kind of got over that. It didn't work. And I thought, yeah, I'm with you on that. As you have believed, said Jesus, so shall it be added unto you. And so, but to pray 
for the pleasure of praying, that's not the same as banging on the gates of heaven, to commune with your husband, to commune with your children, your wife, your grandchildren, because it brings pleasure. It's not the same as doing it because you have to do it, a sense of duty. It's just a wonderful thing to do. And so when it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, I think from a New Testament concept, from our life's concept, we actually have to sanctify or set apart some time for this. It's not just going to happen on auto, autopilot. I, I, I think that's what Hebrews 4 is telling us, labour to enter the rest because it's, it's not something that just happens on autopilot. Set some time aside. In Isaiah 58, a chapter that talks a lot about praying and fasting, the prophet Isaiah goes on uh, in verse 13 to say that one of the outcomes of approaching me because you want to approach me, not because you feel duty-bound to approach me, is you'll call the Sabbath a delight. You will love the Sabbath because it's at the Sabbath, it's in your rest that you will find and rediscover every week the meaning of your life. Now, we're in a privileged position, folks. We don't have to wait for a Saturday to rediscover our meaning of life. We're living in the Sabbath. But does that mean that we can ignore the whole concept of communion, by which I'm now referring to fellowship and communication with God and with brothers and sisters here below and with my family? No, it doesn't. It means I have to consciously. So we had COVID for a week and a half and, you know, I couldn't even talk to anybody for a couple of days. And it was like, you know what? It was an enforced rest. It got me thinking about how good's this? God's ordered me to rest. In Exodus chapter 34, Moses quotes three particular commandments, and one of them is don't forget to rest. So I'm like, oh, how stupid am I? How thick am I? Don't answer that question. That I have to be told to rest. So there must be something in this. Now, there are some, uh, before I go on, I just want to go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. There's a scripture here that says, in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Hear, behold, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. Love him with all thy strength, thy might. And then it goes on to say about verse 7, teach your children. And then it goes on to say, verse 8, bind them upon thy hand, uh, and as frontlets between thine eyes, write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. So what I believe Moses is saying there, what the Lord is saying there is simple. Have my word in the forefront of your mind when you take action, when you step into your day to act. Have my word at the forefront of your mind with Wherever your eyes lead your heart, in other words, your desires. Remember the whole thing in Eden was they saw, they desired, they took. Let my word guide your desires. Let my word guide you when you're at home. Let my word guide you in the world. And it's because he wants us to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. In other words, love needs to be sustained. 
Love doesn't operate on autopilot like the person who might say, I'm not in love with him anymore. I'm not in love with her anymore. Well, that's probably because you haven't done much loving. There are impediments to rest. There's quite a lot of impediments to us resting. I've just got four or five, six here. One is it's a busy world. It's a fact that more of our young couples have two-income households, not because they're greedier than what we were in our day. If they don't work, they don't eat. Well, they can't have a house. That's just the way it is. And people are busy. There's no two ways about it. But, you know, if we don't understand that it's our rest that gives meaning to our life, then through our labour we may indeed be successful and wealthy even. But what will we be? Just wealthy slaves, just slaves to the man. Roy Orbison had it right, didn't he? I'm working for the man. Except he planned to take over by devious means through the daughter. But anyway, that's another story. So that's an impediment. Another impediment, I was talking to a sister just the other day, we were sharing something, distractions in prayer. You ever find yourself praying and distracted? Like I heard it said, I think it was, uh, I don't know whether Richie or one of the testimonies or one bit was in there, I don't know. Somewhere in our conversation the last two hours, someone said you can be praying but mindlessly praying and your mind's all over the shop. And, and, and it can happen to you. But there's an antidote to that. And if you struggle with that, well, you're not alone. But put a bit of the word of God into your head before you start praying, and then you might find that you're praying with some scripture in your head, and suddenly your prayer comes to life. That's kind of really getting very close to entering the rest, finding that place of perfect peace. So if you find that it's a struggle to pray for more than three minutes because you get distracted, then do something about it. Read, then pray. And then if you have to, read a bit more and pray. It's a good combination. And it gets your mind in a really good place. Another uh, impediment to rest is addiction. And there's many addictions. We don't need to go into, into any of them. But Hebrews chapter 12 tells us to lay aside every sin and the weight, you know, and the cares that so easily beset us. You know, in Romans 6, I'm not going to turn there, but it says very clearly in Romans 6, we are not slaves anymore to sin. We're just not. But if anybody's suffering from an addiction, we heard about seven years ago when we had a uh, workshop for the younger folk on addictions, and it was from it was led by some brothers who had got the victory, and so they could speak from real experience and using scripture. And one of the messages that I'll never forget is, "Don't think you can break the shackles on your own. You've got to get help. You've got to talk to someone." And that gets back to the scriptural principle of confess your faults one to another, which is not the same as you know telling the whole world, you know, all your problems. It's it's find someone you can confide in that you trust who doesn't judge you that will help you and hold you accountable. We are not slaves to sin. So don't let ourselves be slaves to sin. So the first step in breaking the shackles of something is the word no, is to say to yourself, well, I don't accept this. 
Now there might be some practical steps you've got to take. Well, the, the Bible's got all the all, all that we need, but you're not on your own. You're not on your own. Someone comes forward and they're struggling with something. They've got to understand this. You're not going to get castigated because you're coming forward saying I've got a problem. Because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all fighting a battle and no one's got their battle together so hard that they're never going to have to fight it again. We've all, you know, we've all got to be like Jacob. We've got to wrestle. That's what Israel means. It means struggle. I know it means prince with God, but it also means struggle. Praise God that we are able to struggle. I think it's a wonderful thing. We've got to replace the addiction with something else. You can't just bat it out of your head. You've got to replace it with something. And that brings us to the next impediment to rest is idleness. And back there in Exodus, it says, six days shall I do thy work. There's no invitation in the concept of rest of just laying around all day. Idleness is lethal. Idleness is one of the great things that brought those cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to dust and ashes. Idleness is one of the big three problems they had. There's no room for idleness in the life of a Christian. Why? Because we've been remade in the image of God. And how does that work? Well, because God in the beginning created. And then everything he made, he made to be productive, fruitful, bountiful. And he said, go forth and have dominion and replenish, don't rape. Sadly, as a race, I think we've done a lot of raping of the earth, but the Lord calls us to replenish. Idleness will not give us rest. Idleness will make you tired. Idleness will separate us from the understanding of who we are in Christ. And the other thing that I had written down here was, that will be an impediment, is I've got unfinished business. I don't have time to rest today. I've got unfinished business. I've got chores to attend to. We've always got chores to attend to. And when you find yourself slipping into that line of thinking, remember the children of Israel in the wilderness and the manna. They got the manna given to them six days a week, but not the seventh. On day six, they got double portion. Point being, you rest, people. You rest. I'll look after. I'll look after things for you. And Jesus really was like, didn't he say that? Somewhere in the Bible, isn't it written in Matthew? Maybe seven, six. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things shall be added unto you. And there's a lot more that he said than that, which we don't. We won't particularly turn there. Rest. Don't wait till you're 67 to realise it's a commandment of God to rest. So I'm off to Tuscany next week on a one-way ticket. (laughs) Haggai chapter 1. Just emphasising what we've already said. Verse 6, you have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. He that earneth wages, earns wages to put it into a bag or a wallet with holes. And he says, get up there and build the house of the Lord. How do we view our fellowship? Is it a place we come once a week because we're satisfying some deep-seated, old, 
sense of duty that I better make some contribution or I better appear? Or is it because there's real desire there to fellowship, to connect, to rest, to be with brothers and sisters in the Lord? To build the house of the Lord, we sometimes refer to the church as a community of faith. No fellowship built on the foundation of Jesus Christ and driven by the Holy Ghost is ever going to be built without sacrifice. Strive to enter the rest. That means there's a sacrifice. There's a trade-off. Might be time. There's always a trade-off. But we're going to go one way or the other. We're going to put the work first and the rest second. We're going to put the rest first because the rest gives meaning to the work. And that's what he's saying there. And Isaiah said it in chapter 55. Why do you spend money for that which is not food? Why do you labor for that which satisfieth not? Same principle as Haggai is saying here. Verse 8, go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the house of the Lord, and I will take pleasure and I will glorify it, said the Lord. You know, in Jeremiah chapter 2, he complained. Well, he didn't complain. He, he lamented. My people have rejected me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewn for themselves broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So he's talking about, let's try and get that in context. So let's assume we're relying on our water for a dam and Brother Al's going to dig it down the back paddock there. And if he if he digs it, you can rest assured it's going to have a base that won't leak. It's not going to be cracked. And the Lord's saying through Jeremiah, they're rejecting the living water, which is on tap. It's a fountain. It just it'll never stop. And they're going to dig in their own pits, and they're cracked, and they and they drain, and the water can't be there, and it's muddy, and it's a mess. My people have rejected me, the fountain of living waters. Why? Because they put work first, rest second. Okay. What have they done in doing that? They've, not, they've done this. They've cheated themselves. When we get our priorities the wrong way around, we're cheating ourselves. And if I cheat myself on this topic, I cheat my wife. And if I cheat my wife, I'm cheating my children and my grandchildren. Get it right. Jesus said, well, Isaiah said, chapter 12, therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. And it goes on to say how they rejoiced and praised the Lord and praised his salvation. And Malachi said, and they spoke regularly one to another concerning the word of the Lord. And they edified one another. Let's go to Second Peter chapter one. So the kingdom of heaven, it has never been approached, or it does not open itself to idleness. It doesn't open itself to those who consider it a trifling thing. Like Pastor Joe said, he, he felt the fear of God because he realised he'd been very dismissive of the kingdom of heaven, so much so that he thought, maybe I've done my dash. Of course, we, we know that's not true. It's called the gospel because it's good news. 
we live in an age where repentance is being abandoned in favour of acceptance, and we're talking here about acceptance of sin. And we're in a community where we don't accept sin. We don't judge and criticise and condemn one another, but we don't accept it because we know we're better than that. Like, isn't that a big difference? Remember years and years ago, a young fellow having a chat, three of us having a chat about why we should avoid sins of morality as young single men. But at the end of the day, the answer was because we're better than that. Like we knew it was written. We knew that. But it's like Guy was telling us at the NYC, they were talking about the why, and we were talking about the why. And the why that we concluded with, because we're better than that now. We've been born again. Now, the kingdom of heaven, it might not open itself to idleness. It might not open itself to people who trifle with it. But to those who press toward the mark, it'll open its gates wide. You know, when it talks about it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, someone suggested a really good thought to me this week. I never heard it before. You know what the camel is? I said, tell me. He said, you. I thought, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. I liked it. Anyway, for what it's worth. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. Remember Genesis chapter 1? God made man in his own image. God has now remade men, women, in his own image. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And then it goes on to say, add to this knowledge these, these attributes of God's nature, which is faith, virtue, temperance, godliness, patience, brotherly kindness. And then it goes on to say in verse 8, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here we come again. We're coming back to the topic of rest. If we find ourselves putting on the divine nature against our self-will at times, if we find ourselves trusting God, putting the understanding that I've got to rest, I've got to enter the rest today while there is yet time, not tomorrow, daily, enter the rest. Then is fulfilled John 7 where he said, Isaiah said, therefore shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. But Jesus goes further and says, he that believeth on me, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And so someone said to me the other day, how are you? Good. How good? 100%. No, I said, sorry, 110%. He said, you can't be 110%. You can only have 100%. Like that's 90%. Thank you, Patty. But That's 80% now, but you can't have 110%. How can you have 110%? Because it's overflowing perpetually. And that's what Jesus said, he that believeth on me, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And so what happens from that? I don't even have to think about the rest of my day or you, yours, because it says there, 
but I'll be neither, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful. You will neither be useless nor unproductive. Go forth, be fruitful, and multiply. Why wouldn't that apply to the spirit-filled church as much as it did in Genesis 1 to humanity? Go forth, be useful, and productive. Amen? Be fruitful. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. And so here we are right back in Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Amen? Praise the Lord. And by the way, we mentioned prayer and we didn't look at it. But Isaiah 28, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. This is the refreshing with men of stammering lips and another time will he speak to this people. Praise God. You don't know what to say. You're getting distracted. Read some scripture, then pray. Distracted, read a bit more. Keep praying. End of the rest. <laughs>